0: So last week, folks, last week we were in verses 9 to 13 where we learned that Jesus, as the light, enlightens people with his gospel truth. But that people in the world, even including his fellow Jews, didn't know the light because, frankly, they refused to receive the light. Thankfully, though, there are those who do receive Jesus. There are those who believe in his name and are called children of God because they were born of God. And now we continue on in John's prologue with verses 14 to 18, where John again presents Jesus as the Word, as he did back in verse 1. And then he shares some very profound characteristics of Jesus. With that, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1. We will read verses 14 to 18, where John says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. The first characteristic that we will consider this morning is the humanity of the Word. Back in verse 14 where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now just as a a quick reminder that in identifying Jesus as the Word, the Logos, John is declaring Jesus to be the very personification of God. He is God's powerful divine self-expression in creation and revelation and salvation. In Colossians, he says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in Hebrews, that Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, referring back to God the Father. Jesus as the Word is the Father's self-revelation through the Son. <clears throat> and now the fact that the Word became flesh means that Jesus has now become a living human being. And we have to remember that up to this point we have learned about his, his pre-existing eternal nature but as a spirit being. He was co-creator of the universe with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We have learned that he indeed is God. We learned that in him was life, and the life was the light of men, shining in the darkness of a sin cursed world. But to that we might say but how how so how how could he be the light of men?" And shine in the darkness, because this isn't some, you know, new agey thing where he is literally some some bright light like the sun and he's spiritually warming us all up, or he's not like some ball of energy, you know, floating around and moving around like we see in some sci fi movies. No, John tells us that this word became flesh and dwelt <coughs> among us. Dwelt literally means tabernacled. And you go, huh? Yeah, it refers to living in a tent. And think about this. Where did God regularly have fellowship with Moses as he was speaking to him face to face, as a man speaks to his friend? It was in the tent of meeting. It was in the tabernacle. We would also remember that Moses was told the divine name of God back then. He was given the word of God by God himself. And so I think how appropriate that John shows this tremendous continuity by alluding to the Old Testament in showing that Jesus as, as the divine word now becoming flesh and dwelling among us in, in this way. The word is now a human being living Amongst the people, living among John and the other disciples. I mean, friends, this is God with us literally, physically, and in a very personal way. You might know the song Good King Wenceslas. It's about a 10th century Bohemian king who was known for his piety and walking, living among the poor. One 12th century pastor wrote, Rising every night from his noble bed with bare feet and only one chamberlain, he went around to God's churches and gave alms generously to widows, orphans, those in prison, and afflicted by every difficulty, so much so that he was considered not a king, but the father of all the wretched. In the way that this king lived amongst the people, now we have the king of kings, even the lord of lords, who is dwelling. Among us. And and for those of us who believe, we say, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, to this word becoming flesh and living among us. But you see, not everybody believes that. Not everybody does believe that. Even some folks that would call themselves Christians. And this is why John is wanting to be so crystal clear about this fact of Jesus becoming flesh. I mentioned last week the Gnosticism of John's day, which was a movement that believed that spirit was good, but all physical matter, the earth, bodies, human bodies, is evil. Therefore, even with Jesus, though he had what to them looked like a flesh and blood body, they would have said, well, but it's not really a flesh and blood body because, well, that would make Jesus evil. And in doing so, they deny his true humanity. Well, from Gnosticism developed something called Docetism, which rested on two fundamental principles. First, that matter is evil. And secondly, that the divine can experience neither change nor suffering. This meant Jesus could not have been born of a mother, a woman, could not suffer or die. And some believe there was Jesus the human being, but at his baptism, then the Spirit of Christ came upon him, but then sometime before his crucifixion, left him. Another heresy that that popped up was known as Apollinarianism, which believed that the Logos, the Word, possessed a human body but not a human spirit or mind because both then again would be sinful and they believed that the logos supplied both the animating principle and the rational principle so the incarnate Christ had neither intellect nor a human will meaning human intellect now for those that would deny The humanity of Jesus, John, had some very stinging, sobering words in his first epistle. In chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, when he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, and here when he says every spirit, he's referring to teachers. Here, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh... ...is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus... ...is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. I know that we you know, understand we look forward to a, a kind of last Antichrist, but isn't that interesting? There have been Antichrists since John wrote this, and there are still Antichrists in the world. And of course, the Bible tells us that Jesus had to be fully human in order for him to be tempted in all things as we are as humans yet without sin. Because the only sacrifice that could appease God's wrath against a sinful humanity was a human being who could live a perfect life. Of course that's not us. It's not any one of us. But then this perfect human being would have to die becoming an acceptable sacrifice to the father he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him as we read in second corinthians 5 21 jesus in his perfect spirit form could not do that and that is why, friends, that is why he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. You keep your bookmark there in John. But let us go right towards the back of your Bibles there to 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1. John, this is very much uh, a continuation of what we have seen and read right at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Where John is going to go to great lengths again to prove that Jesus was a bona fide human being just like the rest of us. And so he says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning... And I mentioned before that the beginning here is not beginning of time. It's actually the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. What was from the beginning, referring to Jesus, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested right just just parentheses here it means visible conspicuous to appear and show oneself absolutely the word of life was manifested and we have seen and we testify and we proclaim to you the eternal life because here friends i'm parenthesing again the word of life and in john 1:4 we have in him is life and he is life Back to the text, which was with the Father. Oh, John 1, verse 1, right? The Word was with God. And then he says here back in our text, was manifested to us. We just read in uh, 1.14 of John, the Word became flesh. These are just like parallels with each other here. Back in verse 3 of 1 John 1, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Why, John? Oh, he tells us, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. And is with the Son. His Son, Jesus Christ. And friends, this will make sense when we get to chapter 1, verse 18. And how Jesus actually explains the Father. So Paul... Paul also affirms the fact that Jesus was born as a human being in Galatians 4, 4-5 when he writes, but when the fullness of time came, and that just means in, in God's sovereign and providential timing, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Colossians 2 and verse 9, we read, For in him, meaning in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And furthermore, we are certain of Christ's humanity because the scripture tells us that Jesus grew up, didn't he? He was a, a baby. He became a young boy. He became eventually a man. And people could touch him and touch talked to him and he ate and he drank and he slept and blood and water even came out of his body when he was crucified and stabbed with a soldier's spear and even his resurrected glorified body could still be seen, it could be touched. As he said, see my hands, and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And along with his physical body, of course, he had a soul and spirit. He had a mind and an intellect. He had knowledge given to him, yes, by the Father, but he also learned from others. He had a heart that experienced human emotion. He loved, had compassion, experienced joy and sorrow. He grieved, he wept. He had peace and contentment. And yes, he even experienced anger, albeit sinless anger. Jesus was in every way, is in every way, the God man. And this brings us to our second characteristic that we see back in. John chapter 1, the gospel of John, the glory of the word. We had the humanity of the word and now the glory of the word. Still in verse 14, John writes, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Glory here is that word doxa in the Greek, which literally means to think, suppose, or recognize and, and so in the new testament it denotes praise honor and glory that is why we sing the doxology which we just did what i think it was last week or the week before <clears throat> and john continues with the continuity with the old testament and even the picture of the tabernacle if we were to go back to exodus chapter 40 in verse 34 we read then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now this was preceded by the glory of the Lord resting even on Mount Sinai and the cloud covering the mountain and when the Lord called to Moses from the midst of the cloud and then it was preceded by The temple, for the glory of the Lord, filled the house of the Lord once the temple was built. This glory we call Shekinah glory. And Shekinah, like tabernacle, literally refers to residence. That God's glory has taken up residence in the tabernacle, in the temple. You might also remember when Moses asked God, he said, Show me your glory. And what did God do? But he put him in the cleft of the rock. And his glory passed by him. And he allowed Moses to only see his backside. Because nobody can see the glory of God's face and live. Be like staring into the sun. As a kid sometimes you do that. You think, well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a try. And, you know, and how long does it last? A second or two maybe. And of course, you know we can go and view the sun. We like to view eclipses, and we got to get the special goggles or glasses or do reflector things and in order to be able to look at the sun because it would, it would burn our eyeballs, I guess. I don't know. Some of you have to give me the scientific thing as to what actually happens there, but we won't worry about it right now. How remarkable, though, how remarkable that we go from God's glory under the old covenant, to God's glory now in the new covenant, with God now becoming a human being and living among us. No longer do we have to be hidden in the cleft of the rock, with God covering us from protection, and then us only getting to see his backside, the glory of the Father, has now been manifested in the very human, yet very divine Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, oh, this is summarized well in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. When the author of Hebrews says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, meaning the Son, is the radiance of his, the Father's, glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Returning to John chapter 1, verse 14. We also understand that this is glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Only begotten. It's this Greek word monogenes. It's a compound word. You have monos, which means only, right? One. And genes, which literally means stock, translating as one of a kind. One and only. Unique. Unique. Jesus is the unique, one-of-a-kind, one-and-only Son of God. For John to say that he and the others saw the, the glory of Jesus, the unique Son of God is to say that they saw the very glory of God. And it's also true that Jesus manifested His glory, and He did so in a myriad of ways that we will be exploring throughout this incredible gospel through things like the signs and wonders that he did, as well as even at his death and exaltation. Of course, there's that great key moment where Peter, James, and John got a further glimpse of Christ's glory here on earth when they were with him at what was called the, or is called the transfiguration. The word there, transfiguration, is metamorpho. Oh, the word we get, metamorphosis, right? Where Jesus changed into his glorified self, his face shining like the sun and his garments becoming as white as light. To which a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Our third characteristic is the grace and truth of the word, also In verse 14, the grace and truth of the word as we continue. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 16, John will tell us, for his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. Grace being God's unearned, unmerited favor. It is God having favor on us. Not because we are such great and wonderful people, because we're not. We are wicked sinners through and through. But he gives us his grace because Jesus is full of grace. And and to better understand, again, what John is getting at, we, we return to Exodus. We see how much of, of John really started in, again, the Old Covenant. And, and we see God's promise to show Moses is um, uh, when he asked God to show him his glory, we see this glory play out. In Exodus 34 and verse 5, Moses writes, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and a.'" Ab- abounding in loving kindness and truth grace and truth being two of god's attributes and along with those in this this passage we see god's compassion and the fact that he's slow to anger and that he's abounding in loving kindness and if we had continued on in that text we would also see his forgiving nature and his justice and this is all characteristic of God's glory. But the two that John pulls out and focuses on are Jesus's grace and truth. Professional baseball players often have nicknames. I enjoyed that as a kid. I used to go to Oakland A's games and you had, you know, Catfish Hunter and and uh, people like that. And of course, uh, we've got some classics out there Babe Ruth, right? The Babe. Charlie Hustle, which of course is Pete Rose. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Mr. October Reggie Jackson, who was a part of my A's team in the early 70s. Now, these men were a lot of things, and they had many characteristics, but these names that they've been given highlight what they are known for. And Jesus is a lot of things with many characteristics, but high on the list, certainly here with John, if not the highest, is his grace and truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. In Ephesians 1 and verse 13, Paul referring to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In Colossians 1 and verse 5, it says the word of truth truth the gospel in acts 20 and verse 24 paul refers to the gospel of the grace of god and in ephesians 2 8 4, by grace you have been saved through faith and also a part of the text is the fact that jesus is full of grace and truth you might remember colossians 2 and verse 9 for in him all the Fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This word for full or fullness, guess what it means? Full. That's it. To the brim, to the top, right? Completely filled, even abounding and abundant. Jesus is abundantly and completely filled with grace and truth. He is, in fact, the full expression of God's grace and truth. This is God's grace and truth personified. And you're going to see why this is so important when we get to verse 16. So just hang tight. But until then, we're going to move on to our fourth characteristic. The rank of the word. And we see this now in verse 15. John, the gospel writer, now calls back to the stand. We're in our courtroom again. John the Baptist, to give more testimony concerning the word. Can you imagine John the Baptist having to put his hand on a Bible? (laughs) And just sounds funny to me (laughs) and speaking of the baptist oh yes let me quickly tell you of an opportunity immediately following this service right out here out this door into the room next is we have a baptism class so if you'd like to know more about baptism or would like to be baptized then you should join us after this service for the class we now return to our regularly scheduled program Verse 15, John testified, that is now John the Baptist, testified about him, Jesus, and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. You could picture Jesus being there, and we'll, we'll get to that in, in, in another passage. And whereas John's first bit of testimony back in verses six to eight focused on jesus as the light in a divinely spiritual sense he now focuses on jesus having become flesh and relaying some of the truths as to who jesus is and the baptist kicks things off with the fact that though he was on the scene first he's not the one whom they should be looking for but rather the one who would come after him that is Jesus. This is, of course, in line with prophecy that the Baptist would be the forerunner to the Messiah, that he would prepare the way for the Messiah, for his coming. Now, in addition, the Baptist also calls attention to Jesus's rank and the fact that Jesus's rank is higher than his. Now, we usually think of rank in the context of authority, right? Maybe in a military sense in the different rankings. uh, in the army up to general or, or um, you know, in a sports context, uh, coaches and general manager and owner and, and what have you. Or in a business sense, having the, you know, directors and managers but vice presidents and eventually the CEO. But here the Greek is much more about time. And the fact that John's ministry came after Jesus's. Uh, excuse me. John's ministry on earth preceded Jesus' ministry, right? He introduced him. Jesus showed up on the scene. And and in a society where honor was given to age and precedence, you might think of the, the blessings or birthright that would go to a firstborn son. Some observers then might have taken the Baptist as being greater than Jesus because he was there doing ministry first. But John sets them straight. And the reason that he gives is the fact that Jesus existed before him. And presumably the Baptist has told the people that Jesus is not merely a a human being like himself, but rather that Jesus is indeed God. And the Baptist has shared about the preexistence of Jesus back when the world was formed and even beyond into eternity past. That Jesus has eternally existed and though the baptist was miraculously born and according to scripture he would have been elected and predestined before the foundation of the world to play the role he did he was still a human being apart from the divine the baptist was of course 100% man zero percent god whereas jesus is 100% man 100% God. This all leads into gospel writer John's fifth point, the fullness of the word. The fullness of the word. We see this in verses 16 and 17. It's a continuation really from verse 14 and the fact that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. And of course, this this fullness of Christ that we have all received is understood as those who have received Christ, for those who have believed in His name and who are now then considered children of God. In other words, Jesus is—excuse me, uh, John's not saying that every human being universally receives Christ. Fullness, But for those who are Christians, we do receive the fullness of Jesus' grace and truth in a sanctifying and, and salvific sense, but also in this grace-upon-grace-blessing sense. As uh, one commentator, William Hendrickson, writes, quote, "...an infinite plenitude of blessed fruits an incessant supply of grace." A limitless supply or reservoir suggesting a limitless outflow. In other words, this is not like our California reservoirs, folks. Boy, we used to see that. We lived up by, uh, right by Trinity Lake, and it was this great, big, beautiful lake. And, and uh, I know some of you uh, have gone to Shasta Lake, and, and in those drought years, boy, you just see the water just go down, 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 down until it looks like a mud pit until we get more rain and, of course, snowpack and, and all of those things. But there are some bodies of water, and I got to go take my dad to one last fall. In fact, up where they used to live um, on the eastern uh, side of uh, Shasta County, there's a place called Fall River, and Fall River is a spring creek Meaning the water comes from deep inside the ground and it comes up and it just flows constant and consistently. Even when there's a drought, there's still plenty of water in the spring creeks. And that's this idea here that grace upon grace is, is nothing that ever gets depleted. But rather it just continues to flow and flow and flow. John then makes a comparison in verse 17 when he says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And so John is now differentiating between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old being the law given by God through Moses. The new being grace and truth realized Through Jesus. And it could be argued that even the law was a gracious gift from God that would would set his people apart. And even point towards the grace and truth that would be fully realized in Christ. But really what we have here is the the partial versus the fulfillment. Let let me show you. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Again, stay there, your bookmark in John 1, but let us go backwards again, to the right in your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Hebrews is a tremendous book for understanding the old covenant versus the new, and here in Hebrews 8, the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus as our high priest, who has taken his seat. At the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. That's in verse 1. But look down with me to verse 4. And consider the old here versus the new. Now, if he were on earth, the he being Jesus, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow, of the heavenly things. I mean, do we want the copy? Do we want the shadow? Or do we want the real thing? Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of A better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for the second for finding fault with them, he says. Then he goes on to quote, the author of Hebrews goes on to quote Jeremiah 31. Verses 31 to 34, which lays out the new covenant. And, and just for sake of time, I'm going to give you the biggie points of that. Uh, the first biggie point of, of the uh, new covenant is that God's law will be put into the minds and hearts of his people. It's basically the internal versus the external, saved by grace, not by grace works secondly believers will not have to explain the gospel to other believers or to teach them how to know the lord because if they're believers god has given them this through the indwelling of the holy spirit and then thirdly unlike according to the law sins will not have to be atoned for year after year after year because jesus will become that once for all sacrifice And then we get down to verse 13 of Hebrews 8. When he said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. And so while the old covenant, friends, was externally oriented by By keeping of the law, the new covenant is internal and and being administered by grace and truth to the hearts of those who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And friends, praise the Lord, right, that we don't have to offer the blood of bulls and goats year after year and sin after sin because we are forgiven once and for all time by the grace gift of salvation through the truth of Jesus' gospel message. His death and His resurrection, securing our forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Him. Furthermore, Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 17, this is the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember when He said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill to live out perfectly, which, of course, he did. And then in Galatians 3, 24 to 25, when Paul writes, Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And so the law shows us our sin, shows us our need for a Savior, Points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this then is his fullness. Which we have all received. And grace upon grace. Amen. Amen. Our sixth characteristic is the role of the Word. We see this in verse 18, the role of the Word. No one has seen God at any time. We're back in John chapter 1. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So John gives us some further characteristics of Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, and namely that we can know the Father through the Son, with visible clarity, in a way not understood before, the Father is revealed and now known through the Son. This will lead to John 6 and 46 and the fact that only the son has seen the Father. And in John 14 and verse nine, Jesus saying, "He who has seen me has seen the Father." So no one has seen God in his fullness because, again, God is spirit. But even more so because we we could not see the fullness of God, friends, and live. For his glory would just absolutely consume us. And whereas in verse 14, the only begotten comes from the Father. Now John says, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father. And again, Jesus here identified not just as God's unique, one and only son, but as God himself, Theos, the bosom then is, is the chest area. One of my go-to resources, the complete uh, word study dictionary of the New Testament says, quote, to be in or on the bosom of someone means to be in his embrace, to be cherished by him as the object of intimate care and dearest affection, or as we say in English, to be a bosom friend, end quote. It's a term used elsewhere in the New Testament. Lazarus is, of course, in Abraham's bosom, and John rests upon Jesus' bosom. That Jesus is in the bosom of the Father points to just this, this certain intimacy of relationship and mutual love between the Father and the Son. Jesus will also say in John fourteen, eleven, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And lastly, since Jesus is the visible manifestation of God and uniquely in relationship with the Father, therefore we can understand that Jesus has explained the Father. This word for explained, it's the same word we get exegesis from. To exegete something is to interpret it, to then explain it. And as a, as a preacher... John and I, we, we, we do exegesis weekly where we seek to interpret the text so that we can then explain to you the text. So the, the the Word made flesh is also God as a human being, the man, Jesus. However, as both God and man, He is uniquely distinct from the Father and yet He is very intimate with. With the Father, along this, with this, he has then made God the Father known. As the self-expression of God in his human incarnation, Jesus has explained the Father. Just as he said in John 14 and verse 6, No one comes to the Father but through me. You can't even know the Father apart from Christ. So friends, as we wrap things up here this morning, it's it's vital that you understand that Jesus, he wasn't just God born in human flesh. He had to be God born in human flesh because again, it's only another fully human being yet a sinless one who could satisfy the wrath of god against our sins as humans and of course the only way that he could be sinless is because he's god right and with all the the ascribed to god and you need to know this for yourself and and why this is important in your own salvation but you also need to know it so that you can explain that to others So that when you have that that opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, they go, what's this deal with Jesus being God and man? And you can then tell them, take them to 1 John, show them. Secondly, we need to remember that the gospel is all about the very full grace and truth that we receive from Christ. He is the fullness of grace and truth. And and, and, and the gospel is all about His grace and truth. Because the fact is, is we are sinners through and through. There is none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's not any way for us to, to try and do something to kind of earn our own salvation, As as hard as we we try sometimes to tip the scales in our favor by those good works that we do, it's futile because it will never tip the scales. It will never even them out. It will never go the other way. One sin is enough to send that scale like this. Just one. And so we need the all-sufficient grace of Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Yes, believing we are called to believe. We see in John those have received. And, and what is it that we are to receive or believe in? Well, the, the, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus was a God-man, that he did die in our place on the cross for our forgiveness of sins, that his death satisfied a, a wrathful god that he took our place, that he was our substitute, that he became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness, which then God sees instead of our sin and forgives us of our sin and grants us eternal life. And then to be with Christ even for all eternity. So yes, you are to believe, but even that belief, that faith is by God's. Grace, but you believe then in the truth. And remember this too, not just for yourselves, but for others as well. And frankly, it's grace and truth that sustain us as Christians, isn't it? Because that that gospel message is not just good for us at that one moment in time, but it is for us every single day of our lives to be reminded of the grace and truth of Christ. How we receive that grace and truth. And thirdly, There is no one else, not anything, with more authority than Jesus. The rank there we said was about time, but even going back in time, he is the one who has always been, pre-existing eternally. And he is the one with all authority because of that. And and frankly, the world would tell you otherwise. And sometimes we try and tell ourselves otherwise otherwise we sometimes even ascribe someone else or something to take a higher place in our life than the Lord Jesus Christ and frankly that's just idolatry and that's simply what it is most of us do it somehow some way on a daily basis we put so many things before Christ but he is the the highest he is the first the last. Fourthly, because of being a Christian, remember that you have the fullness of Jesus's grace, even grace upon grace. Yes, we are saved and sanctified by his grace and truth. And then there's that grace upon grace for that continued progressive sanctification between now until he returns. Friends, we have to remember that his grace is sufficient. I've had a I have several opportunities, even this week, to, to, to talk to, to friends, other believers who who just needed to be reminded that God's grace is sufficient. Maybe you are out there this morning and you need to be reminded that God's grace is sufficient. Uh, as Paul writes about himself and and the thorn in his flesh and three times asking that God would remove it and God... Tells him, no, he's not going to remove it. And he says this to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast, Paul says now, about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the point there being, because when we are weak, then who do we turn to? Who do we trust? Jesus Christ, who has all sufficient grace and grace upon grace for us in our time of need. And fifthly, praise and thank the Lord, friends, that we are not under the law, but we are under grace, right? We, we, we can't try to keep doing this and obeying the law, so that's going to earn us favor. Because it's not. It's not. We are thankfully under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, friends, you and I think about this. We are so privileged to be able to know the maker and creator of the universe. God the Father. Father to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Because in knowing Jesus, we know the Father. Because Jesus has explained the Father to us. I think of our dear Jewish friends. Who believe that knowing the Father is enough, but it's not. They don't truly know the Father if it's apart from Christ, because the only way to know the Father and access to the Father is through the Son, the Lord Jesus. And, And friends, remember that when you pray, when you pray, you have immediate access to the Father's throne room of grace, where you will be heard and you will be helped and you will be loved. And you will be cared for. That is again the God of the universe that you are communing with and that you are praying to. Don't ever forget that. That that should just blow our minds, boggle our minds. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me. (coughs) We're going to close in a prayer that I came across this week that I just thought was tremendous. The Ligonier Ministries uh, uh, put it out. It's called The Word Made Flesh, and so we are, of course, praying to our Heavenly Father, and we say together, We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh, and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly, God. He became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. Crucified, dead, and buried, He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, He kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us His righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building His church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise His holy name forever. Amen. And Father, we thank You for these wonderful truths of Christ. We thank You for what we have learned and heard this morning from your word. Lord, I pray we carry these truths with us into the week and into the, the, the months and the years to come. That, Lord, these truths excite us. That, Lord, these truths remind us. That, Lord, these, these truths live and, and, and dwell in us through your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name and all God's people said again, Amen. 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 Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible, copyright by the Lockman Foundation.